0: All right, Merry Christmas, everybody. There it is, there it is, there it is. Let me give some love out to all the folks that are watching on uh, all six of our campuses today and those of you who are watching online. uh, Man, we want to welcome you as well. I got a great Instagram message from a new friend in Zimbabwe uh, who watches our services every week there. Uh, She is participating with us in our New Testament challenge. You know, we're reading through the New Testament twice this year, two chapters a day. Uh, so she's in playing that as well. And man, we just thank you, thank you, thank you. And I love you guys in Zimbabwe and glad you're hanging in here with us. Hey, we're going to restart that New Testament challenge in January, on January the 1st. Uh, so, man, if you were in it and got out and want to jump back in, uh, January 1st is when we're going to start over. If you want to jump in right now, we would love to have you. We're starting in Titus chapter something, two and three, I think, tomorrow. Uh, and you know, the, the Christmas story from heaven's perspective. Is written in the book of Revelation, and we're all gonna be reading through the book of Revelation together before the end of the year. So, man, if you wanna jump in with us on this New Testament challenge, I post the verse that hits me every day on Instagram. I'd uh, love to have you come and join us for that. I also wanna remind you that next week, we're gonna receive our special Christmas offering. Uh, every year for the last 30 years, we've taken up a special offering at Christmas time over and above our regular giving because it's a Christmas gift for Jesus. I mean, Christmas is a birthday celebration. Uh, We celebrate God coming to earth in the person of Jesus. And man, I am confident that the people who love Jesus have been celebrating his birthday since the day he was born. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. And we're doing it right now today as well. Now, we don't know uh, that December 25th was his birthday. In fact, there are some really good reasons to think uh, he was not born in December. Uh, But ever since the fourth century, the church has been celebrating his birthday in December, which is why every year uh, on every campus, uh, we bring our gifts and we lay them in a manger just like this, where God laid his greatest gift for us 2,000 years ago. This year, though, we're going to give you an opportunity to bring your gifts and lay them on a table like this, because, friends, our gifts this year will make a place at the table for thousands of SCAD students uh, and soldiers and downtown residents to be introduced to Jesus at our downtown campus. Now, by God's grace, we were able to buy a 60-year-old mattress factory last year uh, that then became a film production facility, uh, and now it's being repurposed as a worship center and a children's discipleship center uh, that will lead kids and adults in the downtown area to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We started this project last Christmas. Uh, We've gotten a ton done and had so much given toward this project in the last 12 months. It's been amazing. But we are a million and a half dollars short. That's what we need to finish this renovation with no debt. And friends, I just want to thank everybody who's given to this already. Uh, You gave so generously last Christmas. You've given generously all through this year. Uh, I'm praying next week uh, once again... Uh, Our generosity at this Seat at the Table offering will just push us over the goal line and completely underwrite this new campus with no debt at all. Now, I usually give online. That's how I give every week because, you know, giving online gives me an opportunity to honor the Lord with my gift, whether I'm here or in Africa or wherever I may be. Uh, Giving online lets me put uh, the church first uh, so that Jesus gets the first fruits of uh, everything that I earn. And so We've, we'll have a tab on our website for the Seat at the Table offering. If you're watching a live stream, uh, there'll be a tab so that you can get to the Seat at the Table offering next week. But here's what I hope. I hope if you have kids, and even if you don't, that you will consider bringing your gift next week in a check and just laying it on this table uh, as a gift for the Lord. Now, for those of you who are under 30, a check is a piece of paper. You know this, right? That you can write on it, and the bank will exchange that for money, and it'll be a cool thing. But I'm just telling you, man, you know, just like the wise men made a special effort to bring their gifts to Jesus at the first Christmas, uh, my old buddy Carlton Gill taught me that there is a value sometimes in making a special effort uh, when you're making a special offering. So, just like I did with my kids, uh, next week Sarah and I plan to bring our gift, uh, maybe with our grandkids if we're lucky. Uh, And we're going to make a spiritual memory as we support this vital cause, and I hope you will too. Friends, the people, there will be people literally around the world. These are the dots represent people who've been saved through our downtown campus, literally all around the world. And I'm telling you, man, heaven will be fuller, and it'll be a more joyful place because of your generous sacrificial gifts so I just want to encourage you to pray about what you're going to give. I hope you'll pray super generously, give super generously, and then we'll just watch what God does with it. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series of messages that we've been calling the Holiday Field Guide, because of those of us who have been through a number of holiday seasons have not only learned how to, you know, survive the holidays, man, we have taken notes on how to optimize this season, especially, you know, when you read the New Testament. Now, we've drilled down a little bit on how financial wisdom and discipline uh, can make such a big difference about how you feel about the Christmas celebration, especially when Christmas is over. Uh, Last week, we talked about how family, you know, can be the most blessing part of Christmas or it can be the most testing part of Christmas and how we could take some strong steps, you know, to get on the blessing side of that equation. But today, I want us to think about some folks who actually missed the first Christmas. They missed it because they made some classic mistakes. And frankly, uh, I made one of these mistakes last week. You know, in my family, uh, the holiday season means that we try to get all of our family together. And we either get them together on Thanksgiving or we get them together on Christmas. And when it's Christmas, you know, all my sons are in the ministry, which means we all have Christmas Eve services to go to. Uh, So our Christmas break starts the day after Christmas when my son Cam flies in with his family from Seattle and then Garrett drives in with his family from Raleigh, North Carolina and my mama drives in from South Carolina and my brother's sons come up from Florida and Lord have mercy, we need a travel agent for our family, amen, I'm just telling you. Uh, This year though, our family got together on Thanksgiving uh, and so my kids will all be with the outlaws for Christmas and so Sarah and I will be alone, all right? Now, unfortunately, this Thanksgiving, Cam and Haley just couldn't make it. They they just couldn't get here. Uh, His band has been touring a lot, and uh, they just couldn't make Thanksgiving work. So we were six down on the count at Thanksgiving, which means we only had 22 people for lunch on Thanksgiving Day. And it was great. And I'm telling you, a lot of fried turkey went in the ministry that day. Amen? Uh, We made some great memories, man. I'm telling you, it was awesome. So Thanksgiving was on Thursday. You know, my family's all here for the weekend, so it's like an anthill at our house. I'm preaching on Sunday. Monday morning, the last group's pulling out, and so I'm trying to see them off and kiss all the kids and hug all the grandkids and, and, you know, get them on the road and then run in the house and jump in the shower and hustle over to the office to start working on this message uh, about noon, and about 15 minutes after 12, I get a call from the guy I was supposed to meet at 12 for lunch. And I'm like, ah! I mean, I just totally missed it, man. I just blanked on it. And he was so gracious, but I'm telling you, I felt terrible. I got so dazzled with so many details of that crazy, busy holiday weekend that I just missed, almost missed, a really valuable conversation that I have looked forward to for a month. Man, I scheduled that conversation a month ago so I wouldn't miss it. And that got me thinking about how sometimes the the holidays sabotage us, you know? Uh, They kind of set us up to miss things that are really important. And I mean, how in the world does that math even work? How can you miss the most important part of Christmas? I mean, it's not like we're not aware. I mean, Christmas is the most advertised, commercialized holiday in the world. It's the most anticipated, it's the most celebrated holiday of the year. How in the world could anybody miss Christmas in this day and age? But you know, friends, we can miss the most important part of Christmas for the same reason that people missed it at the first Christmas. And so let me t- tell you what I'm talking about. Turn with me in your Bible uh, to Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke. This is the third uh, book in the New Testament. This is one of the accounts of the Christmas story. And I want to identify for us a couple of reasons why people miss that first Christmas. And then we're going to go to school on them and take some notes so that hopefully we'll be able to avoid making those same mistakes uh, in, in our lives. Now look at uh, Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everybody went to his own town to register. Now, can we just hit pause for a second? and let me say how much I love the historic specificity of this account. This does not sound like mythology. This doesn't sound like fiction. You know, myths all start out once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away, or there was an old lady who lived in a shoe, or something like that. This is way too specific to be mistaken for a myth. I mean, we're talking about when it's happened when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome, and Quirinius was the governor in Syria, and it was the first global you know, tax assessment, and all the Jews were sent back to their ancestral homes for a census. You know, C.S. Lewis says, anybody who thinks this is mythology obviously does not know anything about mythology. The New Testament does not read like myth. It's just too specific. Let's let's continue. Look at verse verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of, and here it comes again, specifics. He went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And friends, right here is where we're going to meet the first somebody who missed the first Christmas, and it was the resort manager whose inn was so full that he did not have a room for Joseph and Mary. Now friends, this innkeeper represents the regular folk that missed the first Christmas because of busyness. Everybody say, Business. busyness. Friends, this is why I missed that appointment on Monday almost. Uh, my calendar just too full of stuff. And man, in Luke chapter 2, it describes the last week of Mary's pregnancy. She and Joseph have to travel to their hometown in Bethlehem. Man, they live way up north in a city called Nazareth. They've got to travel 90 miles to their ancestral home in Bethlehem. They've got to sign up for this stinking Roman tax levy. And when they get to Bethlehem, Mary's wa- water breaks. And then she goes into labor. She's ready to deliver that baby. Joseph pulls into the local Holiday Inn and the henkeeper says, sorry, no vacancy. We got every room full. We are full up. And so in verse 7, it says, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger. Now, you know, manger is the old English word for food trough. And it could have been made out of wood, and it could have been made out of stone, but they would wallow something out or make a wooden trough and put hay in it so it would be soft and put the blankets over it and put the little baby in there. Simple baby bed but in a very simple setting. And you know why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, how do you think the innkeeper felt about that? No room in the inn. He's thinking, hallelujah. Right? I mean, he's full up, bro. He is setting record. That joker's got to be thrilled to death. Business is booming. we got a house full. Every room is a paying room tonight. i got two friends in Savannah who run hotels, and the bad news they love to hear is no vacancy. Every room is full. Every room making money. I'm telling you, for this guy, that Roman taxation did him a favor. People are coming home to Bethlehem from all over the country to register with the government and all these out-of-towners got to have somewhere to stay and he is sold out. Good news to him. And I'm sure he's sorry he doesn't have another room for the guy that's got the pregnant wife and maybe he's the one who told them, hey, I've got a stable out back and it's a lot quieter and it's way more private uh, and you'd be a lot better off there anyway and set them up. But this innkeeper has no clue who he is turning away. Friends, just think about this for one minute. Jesus is at his door. He has the business opportunity of the millennium to be known for the rest of history as the birthplace of Jesus. And his busyness with his own business caused him to miss the greatest opportunity of his life. Can you imagine the PR opportunity if you could put out in the front of your hotel, son of God born here. I mean, dude, the day after Jesus rose from the dead, he'd have been sold out for the rest of his life. He missed the greatest opportunity of his life, God coming to earth in human form. He could have been the host for the Son of God. He could have been the generous, gracious hero of the Christmas story and missed it because he was too busy. Which begs the question, Are you making room in your busy schedule for Jesus this Christmas? And I'm not talking about a guest room at the house, y'all. I'm talking about your schedule, your thoughts, your time, your budget, your plans. Man, have you made any room for Jesus in your Christmas plans? Or are you just so busy jamming every little thing in that you don't have any room for Jesus in your life or your heart or your mind? Listen, man, I'm telling you, I, I... You know what we fight all the time here at Compassion Christian? Sometimes we have to say no to good things so that we will have the time and energy to invest in the best things. And we all struggle with that. But I'm telling you, the minute you quit struggling with it, your schedule is just going to automatically fill up so much you will not have any room for Jesus. That's what happened to this guy. Good things crowded out the best thing that he could have ever done with his life. But I'll tell you, there's another reason people miss that first Christmas. Turn with me to Matthew chapter two. Flip over to Matthew chapter two. We'll look at another one of these. Um, we'll look at another one of these accounts of the Christmas story, famous part of the Christmas story. Uh, Luke, cha- uh, Matthew chapter two. We'll start reading in verse one. <clears throat> it says, "After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We have come to worship him.'" And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him, and I bet because he was a psycho. In verse 4 it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, that's the Old Testament, he asked them where the Christ, where has it been predicted that the Messiah will be born? And they said like that... In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet Micah wrote in Micah 5 two. but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, friends, this passage describes a group of spiritual leaders who knew exactly where the Old Testament said that the Messiah would be born. When the king asked them, bam, they knew the answer like that, Bethlehem. They knew that a unique star had appeared overhead, just like the wise men had followed all the way from the east to Israel. Then they meet these exotic kingmakers from Persia or India or China, maybe. We don't know where they came from. somewhere way east, and they roll into Jerusalem, and they're asking about the new king who has just been born. And friends, not a single one of those teachers of the law showed up in Bethlehem to check it out and see if, see if anything was happening not a soul, went to see the birth of Jesus. You know why? These wise men come thousands of miles to see baby Jesus and honor him, and the Jewish spiritual leadership would not even walk across town to check it out. And I think the second reason that some people miss that first Christmas is the same reason some of us are going to miss it this year. Pseudo-spiritual people in Jerusalem miss that first Christmas because of familiarity. Say it with me, everybody familiarity friends even if you're a believer you can miss Christmas because one of the most dangerous foes your faith will ever face is boredom in the face of familiarity man you can get so familiar with the Christmas story so familiar with the gospel it doesn't even inspire you anymore I mean, Paul warned us about this in Romans 12, 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Man, fervor is that word that means kind of a boiling, rolling, powerful, dynamic life is going like this. And how do you keep that going? Well, by serving the Lord, he says. I mean, why did he even have to say this? I mean, I thought that when you gave your life to Jesus, you're just automatically on the mountaintop from here on out. No, bro. No. When you get real familiar with anything, even if you love it, there is a danger that you'll start taking it for granted. And all the married people in the room said, amen. "Amen." Now listen, you can get so familiar with the story of the birth of Jesus that it doesn't amaze you anymore. You know why? Because you've heard it before. You know about Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. You know the story about the shepherds and the wise men. You know the story of the angels singing, glory to God in the highest. Man, you've been to the journey, you've seen it. You've been there, you've done that. Some of us have been to Israel, to the place. We've seen that stuff. We know the story, we know the songs, we know the traditions, and I'm telling you, man, you can become so familiar with something that you miss the beauty of it because you think you understand it all, and then you start taking that for granted, and that is arrogance, and that arrogance will hurt you. Or maybe, honestly, your personality works against you because you're just an adrenaline junkie or you're just a feeling freak and you think you're not emotionally all jacked up all the time. Well, then you start getting bored and and you start drifting. And friends, I don't think that's some spiritual attention deficit disorder. I think familiarity can lead us to a spiritual laziness to the point that we quit making an effort to discover new things to see biblical truth from new angles, to see old stories in fresh ways, or you see it, you just don't do anything about it anymore. You know, this is the mistake these religious leaders made in Jerusalem. It caused them to miss that first Christmas. Let me ask you a question. You've read the story. Is it as interesting to you as it is to me that we read the Christmas story and there is not a single pastor there? There's no pastors there. Somebody having a baby. There's no rabbi there's no pastor in that story you know we have a family in our effingham campus uh, who went through a serious cancer surgery in new orleans last month and i got a text about it the morning of the surgery i'm like what oh yeah this is gonna be a big huge long you know crazy surgery and i'm like dude who's out there with him well nobody their kids are on the way out but right now you know he's just out there by himself with his wife and and that's how we're like what in the world man they that by themselves and so man, when Catherine Johnson called me. I call Pastor Ken. Man, we got on a text string going like this. We went to work. Man, I'm telling you, I call that family out in New Orleans. I pray with them on the phone. Uh, that God will bless that, y'all, by the way, just saying phone prayer. That works, man. Uh, Ken, he got on the phone, he contacted a church out in New Orleans that we helped plant. We planted a church in 2004 out in New Orleans and man, we got on the phone with those guys and they contacted a volunteer and that volunteer went over to pray with the family just so that somebody in New Orleans would be there with them. They wouldn't be alone in that hospital room. I thought it was awesome for that church to respond like that. They had somebody over there praying for them within an hour. Don't you thank God for the the body of Christ when it's working right, amen? Let's thank God for the body of Christ when it's working right, man. Love those guys. In fact, I think out of gratitude, I need to fly to New Orleans and take that whole church stuff out for beignets just to say thank you. (laughs) I'm I'm taking one for the team, y'all, all right? But you know that first Christmas? The Son of God is being born in Bethlehem. Not a single pastor, priest, rabbi, theologian, scribe, Pharisee, Sadducee, philosopher, nobody. They all missed it. And listen, they got a heads up from the wise men. I mean, and they had memorized, and they could quote an obscure verse in the book of Micah about exactly where the Messiah would be born. And he's not going to be born in Sri Lanka. He's not going to be born in Kowloon. No, he's in a bedroom community of the city where they live. They're just so stinking familiar with all this data that it doesn't move them anymore. They missed it. And I mean, the irony of this part of the Christmas story is so thick and, I mean, frankly, so disappointing. I mean, look at this prophecy once again in verse 6. I read this a moment ago. You, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Out of you is going to come a ruler, the Messiah. He will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Joseph and Mary, in the last days of her pregnancy, traveled 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, over half the length of the nation of Israel, so that that prophecy could be fulfilled exactly as the prophet Micah predicted over 500 years earlier. Foreign dignitaries got on camels across the desert, maybe a 1,000 or more miles away. They come all the way to Israel. They ask for a private meeting with the king. Then the king calls those religious scholars, gets them up in the middle of the night, get in here, man. Ask them specific questions about the birthplace of the Messiah, this epic hero that's been foretold and promised by God. You know, they gotta know something's up. And then they meet these kingmakers from the east. And then there's this unusual star in the sky that Daniel said in the Old Testament would be a sign. Everybody's talking about it. And not one, not one of those religious scholars cared enough to go to Bethlehem and check it out. Do you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? Five miles. Five miles. That's the difference from the Abercorn exit to the I-16 exit on I-95. They would not go five miles to see what God was up to. And I think maybe it's because they were, like some of us, so familiar with this story. You know, the Jewish leaders actually had strong theology about who the Messiah would be. They just didn't actually believe he would ever show up. And I'll tell you how this happened. The Messiah is mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 for the very first time when Adam and Eve are told that God is going to send this special servant who will reverse the curse of sin and he'll defeat the evil one and he'll reconcile people to God. And it's just awesome. But over the years, the Jewish people began to drape that theology with tradition. They just begin to add lots of traditions to their theology about the Messiah. Well, he's going to come from a certain kind of family, and he's going to come from a certain kind of city, and, and he's going to have a certain kind of power, and he'll have a certain kind of presence and a certain kind of appearance, and, and he will accomplish certain political goals. And none of that reflected the biblical identity of the Messiah. That the scripture said will be a suffering servant, a humble servant who would come and lead people back to God and pay for their sins with his own, with by his wounds, we would be healed. But does that process of draping extraneous traditions sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar? Do you think it's possible that we could drape Christmas with all these traditions about Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman and the new Frozen movie and you know, whatever the cool gift is going to be this year? And look, I'm okay with some of that stuff until, until Nobody is even talking about the core purpose of Christmas anymore, which is a celebration of our Savior coming to our planet to save us. And I'm telling you, man, in our day, there will be a lot of intelligent, well-educated people who will participate in every one of those Christmas traditions, and they're going to put up some lights, and they're going to throw some parties, and they're going to send some cards, and they're going to light up a Christmas tree, and they're going to give lots of gifts and run themselves ragged trying to do every single cultural Christmas tradition And yet not show one ounce of concern for the why. The why we do this stuff in the first place. And it's so that we could have a relationship with God. Not religion, man. Jesus came to free us from religion. He wants us to have a relationship with his father. That's why Jesus came. And if he had not come at Christmas, it would not have happened. So let's just remind ourselves of the why behind the Christmas story right now. Let's read it all together. Big voice. Y'all ready? Here we go. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friends, that's the big why behind Christmas. And if you miss that, you will have missed Christmas. Even if you put up a tree, you can turn on Christmas lights and still be in the dark if you miss that. And let me tell you, lots of people miss that first Christmas because it was so familiar to them and they thought they'd had it all figured out and consequently, they made no effort to check out what God was doing right in front of them. Friends, this is a cautionary tale. Don't cruise through this thing and let that happen to you. Now, there's a third reason that people miss that first Christmas. And I'm just going to mention this briefly. There were powerful and proud people who missed the first Christmas because of fear. Everybody say fear. Fear. fear that doesn't sound right. I mean, it doesn't sound like, you know, powerful, proud people get paralyzed by fear, but but I'm telling you, that's exactly what happened. I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but do you remember when the wise men showed up in Jerusalem and they asked King Herod, where's the new king? Now, you talk about pulling a pin out of a grenade and just tossing it in the middle of the room. I mean, talk about asking the wrong guy the wrong question. The last person anybody should ask about a new king was the most paranoid sociopathic murderer in Israel, the non-Jewish King Herod himself. Friends, the wise men just assumed, you know, if there's a new king, well, of course his dad's going to be the old king, and the old king is going to be glad to have a prince. He's going to be glad to have an heir, right? They didn't know that this is the king who was a paranoid lunatic who had already killed two of his sons because he was afraid they were going to take the throne from him. And so when the wise men asked that question, they unwittingly, man, they unleashed Herod's fear and his paranoia that would eventually result in every male child, two years old and under, in that region around Jerusalem, being executed in a horrible, genocidal act of just a crime against humanity. Now, let me tell you, the angel of the Lord told Joseph and Mary, you got to get Jesus out of here. They fled the country just to keep baby Jesus safe. But here's the question: What was it that drove Herod's negative reaction to the birth of Jesus? And friends, the answer is fear. It was a fear he's going to lose his power, fear he's going to lose position, fear he's going to lose some pleasure, prestige, wealth. Listen, fear caused that man to miss the first Christmas. And you're not going to have to deal with that kind of fear because you're not psychotic, uh, paranoid lunatics. Amen. Amen. I want right, two of y'all didn't say that, so I'm going hide my ah. Uh. I'm going to have my eye on you from here on out. That's not the fear you need to worry about. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know a lot of people who are afraid to get to know God. And they got one of three fundamental fears in their heart. Fear number one, if I really open my life up to Jesus, I fear I will lose my freedom. I'm going to lose my freedom. I won't be able to do all the things I want to do. People like that actually believe that the plan they have made for their life is better than the plan that God has made for their life. They think their plan is better than God's plan. And friends, you know what that means? You don't know God. You don't know God. You may know about him, but you don't know him. Or worse, you assume that God is like some unbiblical caricature of God that you've been carrying around in your head for Lord knows what reason. You know, I met an atheist a few years ago, and we got together to talk about how disappointed he was in the church and how disappointed he was in organized religion and how he could never believe in a God who would approve proven all these kind of things. And so I'm like, well, what kind of, kind of things do you talk about? And he started listing all these things he had a problem with. And I, you know what? I had a problem with all those things, too. And I told him, I said, bro, that's not New Testament Christianity. What you're upset about is not in the New Testament. It's not a part of Christian theology. Those jokers are violated in the New Testament. God is as upset about these things as you are. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. And so after 30 years of fear blindness, fear blinding him to the gospel, when he finally made the slightest effort to understand his fear went away. And a few months later, he gave his life to Jesus, and if you ask him today, he'd tell you that's the best decision he ever made in his life. Fear number two, if I give my life to God, I fear my life won't be any fun, and I understand that. I understand that. I've met Christians that I'm pretty sure were baptized in persimmon oil. You know what I'm talking about? They're just all kind of drawn up a little bit. they tight, man. You know what I mean? But I'm telling you, you will not have to be a part of a church like this very long before you realize that fear, that is not true. That's not true. You hang around here very long, you throw your heart in the ring, your joy is going to go up. You'll begin to experience a level of joy and peace you've never had in your life. Try it and see. Just try it and see and watch that fear go away. Fear number three, if I give my life to God, I fear I'll need to become a fanatic. I'll have to wear weird clothes and get big hair and all that kind of stuff. And and can I tell you, that fear right there kind of hurts my feelings. It hurts my feelings a little bit. I mean, it appalls me to think that I might be the kind of person who would make you not want to be a follower of Jesus. That scares me to death, that I would be the kind of person that would turn you off to Jesus. I pray that's not the case. I hope we've not given you the impression that following Jesus means, you know, being some kind of obnoxious religious nutcase. Because, friends, when you give Jesus the leadership of your life, he doesn't make you religious, he makes you more human. He doesn't make you religious. He makes you human. And you are never going to fulfill your potential as a human being until you have a relationship with the Creator who made you human in the first place. Herod is a great example of somebody who went down in history as being inhuman. Inhumane. And if he had not missed that first Christmas, maybe he would not have been poisoned and possessed by his fears. So friends, the first, Christian, uh, first Christmas, people just missed it. Some of them missed it because of busyness. Some missed it because of familiarity. Some missed it because of fear. How are we going to make sure that doesn't happen to us? How are we going to keep that from happening to us? Let me suggest just a couple practical steps so you don't miss Christmas this year. N- number one, plan on worshiping and serving at one of our Christmas Eve services. I want to invite you to come and worship and serve at one of our Christmas Eve services. Now, every year, uh, we have thousands of people come to our Christmas Eve services. They are awesome. I know lots of y'all are planning on coming to the Christmas Eve services right now. Awesome. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to come. I'm asking you to worship. Everybody say worship. worship. I want you to do what the people who did who didn't miss Christmas that first year. They worshiped Jesus. They came with a humble, joyful sense of expectation. The shepherds, the wise men. Man, there were people who came. They engaged in what God was doing in their world. Man, come to our Christmas Eve services. Worship Him. Throw your heart in the ring. Sing when we sing. Pray when we pray. Worship Him. And then I want to encourage you to serve an hour. Now you're going, Cam, you're just trying to raise work for some kids on Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, a little bit. Think about that innkeeper. You reckon Jesus ever visited that hotel during his ministry? Can you imagine Jesus rolling back into that inn and shaking hands with that innkeeper and saying, I was born in your stable right out back. And the innkeeper going, what? What? The miracle worker, the way maker, the raiser of the dead, the healer of the blind, the feeder of the hungry, the savior of sinners was born in my stable. Don't you know 30 years later that innkeeper wished he had done what the shepherds did and what the wise men did? Honor him, serve him, love him. How do you serve Jesus, man? You serve him by serving somebody else. And I just want to say, if you're not getting much out of your faith right now, maybe it's because you ain't putting much in volunteer be the first one to sign up lots of us going to do it get your kids to help i know it's christmas eve make it a thing make it a thing that your family does every christmas eve well i got family coming in let them serve too they go to weird churches they're not used to serving make them come in here too just make it a thing you know this is what our family does i want to encourage you to invite your one to christmas eve now i know we're all thinking about somebody to invite here's the prayer i want you to pray lord what do you who do you want me to invite to the christmas eve service And then write down the first name that comes to your mind. Let's pray this prayer together. Y'all ready? Here we go. Lord, who do you want me to invite to the Christmas Eve service? Thank you for saying this. I didn't ask you to say it. I asked you to pray it with me. Pray it with me. Lord, who do you want me to invite to the Christmas Eve service? Now, you have asked God a question. Write down the next face that comes to your mind. Write down the next name that comes to mind. You ask him a question, expect him to answer you. Write down the next name that comes to mind and invite them tomorrow. Now, man, if you want to be a player this Christmas, just pray that prayer and make that invitation. You know, I met a guy, uh, uh, I was hunting, (laughs) and I met this guy at lunch, And he goes to our East Campus, and, you know, he had heard us talking about inviting somebody to come on Christmas Eve and what an easy invitation that was. And he came up to me at the hunting place, and he said, Kim, uh, I am a Christian today because somebody invited me to your Christmas Eve service three years ago. I just went through a hurricane. My life was upside down. My family was devastated. And somebody invited me to the East Campus three years ago, and that changed everything for me. Friends, pray that prayer, and then invest and invite the first person who comes to mind. Now watch what happens next. I want to encourage you to bring a gift for Jesus. This year, bring a gift for Jesus. Friends, we invest in everybody we love. And if you love Jesus, bring him a gift next week. Make it something special. Make it something you'll remember. You know, the wise men did this at the first Christmas, and we are still talking about the impact of that gift 2,000 years later. I mean, pretty much the only people you know from 2,000 years ago that you know much about are guys who gave some gift of love to Jesus at Christmas time. Now, you don't have to do it. You don't have to. This is between you and the Lord. But I can tell you this. I'm going to bring my gift, and I'm going to put it right there on that table, because I believe the people who gave the most at the first Christmas were blessed the most, and I want to be in that group. Number four, I want to encourage you to set up a nativity scene and explain it to a child. Now, I went and got this nativity scene. This is a high-priced $10 nativity set from Walmart, uh, and you can go get one just like this if you don't have one. But I want to encourage you to explain this to a child between now and Christmas Day. Well, Cam, I wouldn't know what to say. Okay, there's a great book about that. It's called The Bible, all right? Read uh, Matthew (laughs) Matthew 1 and 2, and read Luke 1 and 2, and then just tell that story. Just tell that story. Listen, do, do it for yourself. Take the nativity and on six or seven different days, think about the Christmas story from the eyes of Mary or from Joseph or from the wise men or from the shepherd or from the little drummer boy. He's back behind a stable over there somewhere. You know, or just, just imagine. How would Joseph tell Jesus this story when he was nine years old? Because, you know, that's a storytelling culture, right? And you know that little Jesus said, Daddy, tell me one more time about what I was born in Bethlehem. Ah, there I was, son. We were coming into Bethlehem, and Mama was crying like a baby. And then she told me her water broke And I was like, what's that mean? And I mean, it was, it was crazy. And I started going from hotel to hotel. And Jesus, really, really, really? I... <laughs> or maybe in your family, just take turns. Who, who do you want to tell the story as tonight? I want to tell the story as a wise man. Okay, tell us the story as a wise man. Well, no, no, you got to start with there I was. Okay, there I was. I was coming across the hill on a camel, and and, and let your kid, let your child tell that story, and you know you could you could have fun with this, and you could go with it over and over and over and over again until, until the thing your child will remember is not the bicycle he got for Christmas this year because he won't remember that three years from now, and it won't be the Xbox, and it won't be the video game. It'll be when we sat around and I told a story as if I was one of the shepherds and Mama giggled the whole time. (laughs) And friends, that might do your family some good. Here's what I hope. As you're telling this story, you will whisper to yourself. The most important thing I must not miss from the Christmas story is that God loves me so much. Amen? Amen. All of this because God loves me so much. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for this story, this rescue mission that Jesus, you know, launched as a little guy. Father, that he left heaven as a prince and then was born as an infant in a third world country, Lord, because of his love for us. And I pray, God, that every one of us will embrace that love and engage it and enjoy it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.